We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Tell Sean Payton, keep talking that shit. we gonna see him soon. You feel me? Alright, welcome back to another edition of the Budding Heads Podcast from Ramstalk Radio. I'm Steve Ribeiro. As always, I am here with Johnny Gomez. Johnny, uh, I I just I was having a good day. The Saints got just got uh a roughing the kicker penalty on a missed extra point. They were about to lose the game, and then somehow they get in field goal range and Will Lutz makes a freaking fifty eight yard field goal. He's never made a fifty eight yard field goal in his career. Uh, how's your day going? You know, uh, was it started off as a terrible day. Uh, you know, I won't bore you with the details. Just uh, inform you of the exciting details. I, I come home to my mom's hard shell tacos. And honestly, that's life. So I'm having a pretty freaking awesome day. And it ain't even Tuesday. Are, are you team hard shell or soft shell? Most of the time, soft shell. But when it comes to my mom's hard shell tacos, 
it's just it's like in a league of its own. Like if there was a last meal I was to eat, that would be it. So you're telling me they're better than the old El Paso hard shells I usually buy from the store. Oh, Steve. <laughs> Steve. L- listeners, ba- bash bash Steve Ribeiro at at his uh, Twitter account, you know, send him send him your dishatred for what he just said right there. Listen, listen, if I'm ever in LA, I got to get tacos. Like New York City, we're like we had the best food in the world here. And like the Mexican food's okay, but it is if you rank the cuisines you could find in New York, like I feel like it's last. For whatever reason, we are dwarfed by Los Angeles and Mexican food. Like it's not even close. Like it's not even a discussion. And I, yeah. I would uh, be willing to go to bat for New York in basically every single other food category. But you guys got us there. I mean, in all fairness, we're right next to the border, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, but New York's got New York's got everybody. Uh, it is the melting pot of melting pots. I feel like. Uh, I mean, where I live, the Greek food. Another level. Uh, uh, can, can I say one thing before we get started, just to piss it. you off? Chicago has the best pizza. No, they don't. No, they do not. <laughs> First of all, it's not even fucking pizza. And let it's it, delicious. It is delicious. I love love me some Lumonati's. Love me some Chicago deep dish. Uh, it's not even close. It's not even a debate. Well, when I'm out when I'm out in New York, you got to show me some pizza, man. Absolutely. Uh, there. The thing about New York pizza is, like, if you come from out of town and you have one of the shittiest slices in New York, it's still, like, as good as most of the pizza from where we're from. I, I went to college in the Midwest, uh, Milwaukee, and our bad pizza is about as good as their good pizza. Uh, if you were talking wow. strict cheese slice, yeah. And, like, the best here, it's unbelievable. <laughs> but this isn't a food podcast, so... We had real football this week. Actual football we get to talk about. Before we get to it, uh, if you haven't given us a review, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't have an iPhone and you want to just help out the cause and you want to enter to win a $75 gift card from NFLShop.com, download iTunes on your computer, go to our podcast page, give us a review, take a screenshot, send an email to ramstalk1945 at gmail.com with your name or you can tweet at us or whatever. We'll enter you. And we'll read the podcast on the show. Uh, if it's meant for us, if it's meant for Derek, one of us is going to read it. Um, and, of course, wherever you're getting your podcast, please subscribe. If we're on a place you can't get us, get, let us know, and we'll get there. And don't forget to listen to our other shows, Rams Talk Radio. Uh, if you didn't listen Sunday, Norm Hightower made a rare appearance on the show, uh, Back in Action, Rams Uncensored, coming later in the week. And there might be some new stuff, new stuff in the mix, so be on the lookout for that. But, Johnny, let's get into it. 30-27, to 27, the Rams come away with a victory in Charlotte in the blistering heat. Uh, it's weird saying that for a team that plays in Los Angeles, but by all accounts, it was unbearably hot in the stadium at this game. 30-27, uh, it was a tough win, but it was a win. Uh, we knew this was going to be kind of a tough game. Give me your init- just initial take, anything that pops to mind right off the bat. Uh, there's a couple couple things that that really caught my attention, and uh, one one of the things is obviously the rust was there, which we kind of expected. A uh, lot of disappointing aspects on the special teams. Oh boy, we gotta 
got to adjust that in a little bit. My God, and, man. It, yeah. That's got to be the that, worst special teams performance since uh, the the Farrell Cooper game in the playoffs. And, and that was one guy. This was the whole unit, I felt like. It was, it was a mess. Big time. It was quite possibly, I would say, the most disappointing aspect of the team. But I will say that the ultimate silver lining in this entire game, because there was a lot of disappointments, but there was a one major silver lining for me, and that was the offensive line. The offensive line truly showed up to play. It wasn't perfect, don't get me wrong. They made their fair share of mistakes, which, you know, considering these are there's two unproven guys on on the offensive line right now as starters, it you know, it doesn't surprise me that there were some hiccups. But for the most part, I felt they did a solid job. Am I am I overthinking this, Steve? What did you think? No, man, and they made a good note. I don't remember who was on the call in this game, but they did make a good note when they mentioned one of the rookies. They were like, look, we haven't called these guys' names a lot. That means they're doing a decent job, and that was true. And you, if you go back look at some of the tape, Brian Allen, he, he took some lumps early, but overall I think he had a really good game, uh, and he was the one I was more worried about. Joe Nopum, I think, played fine, uh, and – you know, it didn't feel like Goff was was getting a ton of pressure to him. There was obviously a little bit, but overall, I think they played well. Early on, they they weren't giving Todd Gurley any time on the oddly limited number of touches he had. But in that fourth quarter, the line and Gurley they were churning. Uh, I agree that I think that was the biggest concern going into this season is how that line would look when you lose Saffold, who I thought was our best lineman last year, uh, and you lose Sullivan, who. He was probably a worse lineman, but you're still replacing both those guys with two complete unknowns. It was it was good to see them perform, man. I'm with you. That was awesome. So for for you, Steve, what what was kind of the thing that stuck out most to you in this game? I, it was you know a lot of people are saying the defense looked bad, and to me it was it wasn't that much different than how we looked last year for the most part, and. When you lose a couple starters, uh, even in the preseason, you lose another starter who you thought was going to be the starter. That's a good thing, especially in week one. You you can't expect them to go out there and be the best defense in the league from right off the bat. Uh, it was, you know, they, they bent. They bent a lot. Uh, this has always been a bend, don't break kind of defense under Wade Phillips. We've had games where we get torched and near the end of the drive, they'll either hold them to a field goal or they'll make a turnover. And it felt like we got a lot of from this. And Corey Littleton, that dude balled out, man. Uh, what a statement game for a guy in a contract year. He, without him, we probably don't win this game. He had two huge turnovers. That uh, that poke fumble he had, I think, I believe was on the first drive of the game, was a work of art. And this is not a guy that's forced a lot of fumbles in his career. I believe that was the second of his career. And that interception, you know, it wasn't a tough interception to make once you make the read, but he made that read. Not everybody makes that read. I'll tell you, Bryce Hager ain't making that fucking read, man. Uh, it was, it was awesome to see. Uh, and I know a lot of people are getting him slack, but look, man, this is always this has been the defense under Wade Phillips for the most part. You know, they never. There's when we play good teams, it's a rarity that we walk out of the game going, man, that defense shut them down. I mean, you look at that Chiefs game. We gave up 54 points, and I think it was a great game from the defense, all things considered, because of the turnovers they had. Uh, I I was impressed with how they played. I was I was happy with it. 
you got to get a little more from Aaron Donald. Uh, I know he's the focus of it, but when he and I wouldn't say he didn't show up because he, I, you know, him showing up, like literally him walking on the field, uh, changes the entire game. But guys made up for it. Littleton played great. Dante Fowler had two big sacks there. Uh, the secondary, yeah, <laughs> Fowler, hell of a game for him. So yeah, I was I was satisfied with that. Yeah, you bring up some great points there. You know, the linebacking core was kind of a another another area of concern. But as far as the linebackers go, it I mean, clearly it wasn't a perfect game uh, for the defense in general. But um, overall, I felt like they did an adequate job. You know, there's still work to be done. And, and I think it'll function a little bit better once, uh, you know, with Weddle there. You know, I know it's just one player, but keep in mind that Weddle is the team captain. You know, this isn't just a random guy that just got hurt. You know, he's he's a great safety, and he's a team captain that a lot of these guys really respect, which says a lot considering this is his first year with the team. So um, if you can ha- command that kind of, you know, leadership in just one season, you have, a, you have definitely a, a great player on your hands. And for him to leave so early and, you know, I thought, you know, the rotation of Marquis Christian, uh, you know, going in and out, I thought that was pretty good. Taylor Rapp, you know, when he was put in, I thought he did a solid job. So, it, you know, I, I say they dominated in the first half for the most part. The second half, it wasn't as glorious, admittedly, but they also didn't have a lot of help either. You know, there was there was a lot of things going off and going on um, pretty bad in the second half. You know, whether it be from the special teams or the offense, you know, things just didn't click a lot for the second half. So I won't I won't blame this on the defense at all. You know, the, it was a lot closer than it needed to be, of course. But uh, there there was a couple of reasons why the score was as close as it was. Yeah, really, that the fourth quarter was rough for the defense, but. I mean, other than that, I think they were good. Uh, Christian McCaffrey destroyed us. We're probably going to talk a little bit more about that in the Saints preview. But, uh, god damn, man, that guy's a baller. And we did absolutely nothing to stop him. Uh, but what are you going to do, man? We stopped basically the entire rest of the team. Uh, DJ Moore had a, a fair amount of grabs. Uh, but overall, you know, I was fine with it. La- we do got to talk about Jared Goff. Uh, another road game with a poor performance. I'm not going to sit here and be the guy that says he can't play on the road, but you look at his worst games from last year, they're pretty much all on the road. Uh, not a great game against Philly was at home, but other than that, Chicago, uh, you can say that's a great defense in the cold. Sure you can. Detroit, uh, what's the excuse there? It's indoors against a bad team. Uh, and then Denver, kind of in the cold too, but those are probably his three worst games last year. They're all on the road. Uh, I, I'm i not super concerned about the road thing, but I am concerned that he didn't look great in week one. And I will give him a week to shake off the rust. He's earned that. Uh, he did do some things that look better, but uh, the interception that he threw targeting Robert Woods, A, that wasn't a great decision, and B, if you're going to make that decision, that was a terrible pass because it went right in the defender's hands. It was a little behind Robert Woods. I. Uh, What's what's your read on this, man? Because we're going to need this guy next week to be playing his best football. 
you know, I'm, I know this might sound like a bit biased and maybe it is a little bit, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because we all kind of realized going into this game that he was probably going to be rusty. And while I will agree with you, there were some poor decisions that he made. Uh, there, there's just a few things on that I was noticing, you know, with the struggles that just made me, you know, chalk this up to being rust. Now, he obviously didn't make great decisions, but at the same time, there was a few things that I noticed. Like he was, he was trying to, you know, get back into his rhythm. He was trying to get his timing on correctly. I remember distinctly a pass that he was trying to you know, sling in between defenders um, to get to Cooper Cup. And I think he would have made it had he had been just a, a second or two more on the money. And those are the kind of passes we kind of become accustomed to seeing with Jared Goff. And just seeing that timing off just a little bit makes me think he's just not into the rhythm of the season just yet. And part of the reason for that is not you know, getting prepared during the preseason. You know, I, I don't want him in the preseason, admittedly, but it is a side effect. There's a reason why some of these other, you know, quarterbacks around the league are a little bit more prepared. It's because they did see some in-game action, and you can do all the exhibition games you want. You can do all kinds of realistic scenarios you want, but that's not going to, you know, prepare you for real in-game action. So, for that reason, I, I will give him a little more extra time before I push the panic button. I don't think anybody should just yet. I, uh, if we're still seeing this next week, uh, there might be a cause of, uh, you know, a cause for concern. But uh, I think by next week, uh, he'll get a little bit more comfortable. And then plus it'll also be at home. So that that helps a lot, too. I'm going to give you my thoughts on this in one second. But first. Uh, let's get a quick word from our sponsor, my bookie. I you look, you get money for playing. We get money for you guys listening to this ad. So uh, please give us a listen here. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Yeah, I, I, he's he's totally earned the benefit of the doubt. I'm totally with you. And it, it's week one. It's on the road. It's, he hasn't played all preseason. He hasn't played since Super Bowl. Uh, it's not a recipe for success. And if you're going to get the statement, Jared Goff game, where he's going to come out and prove, like, yo, the Super Bowl was a fluke. I'm a really good fucking quarterback. Here I am. It's next week against New Orleans. That's the week that you're going to – get this guy at full tilt showing you what he can do uh and we're going to talk about that later but man we definitely need him at his best in that game there's no doubt about it so let's let's look through the snap counts here talk about some notable notes uh so i i got a little shade from Derek last night or uh on the sunday night show because then they mentioned a former enemy of the podcast. Now I would say that we're fans of this guy. 
uh, he had 25 snaps and had a goose egg. You know who I'm talking about? It's got to be none other than Josh Reynolds. It's Josh Reynolds. Yeah, they're saying I'm going to have a field day with this. Look, I like Josh Reynolds now, if our hardcore fans know. Uh, apparently, Derek is not among them anymore. Uh, we have, we've turned on Josh Reynolds, but a bad day for Reynolds here. Uh, one of those missed targets was a pretty bad drop on a screen pass. I will say, though, 25 snaps for Reynolds I think is a good sign, not in terms of anything he's done even though it kind of is that, like, they respect him enough to play him. But it's a good sign in that they did not sub receivers out, like, at all last year. And so 25 snaps for Reynolds, even though most of the receivers played high 80s, low 90s snap counts, it's still it's it's still overall a good thing because you're getting these guys some rest. But any weight to put into this at all, to me it's kind of like, I'm glad he was out there. He needs to play better next week, but 25 snaps is fine. <laughs> like considering the fact that the other receivers played, and I'll give it to you respectively, 95%, 92%, and 90%. Reynolds was out there for 32% of snaps. You know, it's it's a good thing because it shows that McVay trusts him, that Jared Goff trusts him, and anytime you have you know, quality receiving options other than, you know, you're starting, you know, you're starting three basically for the Rams case. It, it, you know, this is exactly what you want. And I do recall hearing in a press conference a while back, this was probably during training camp, that uh, Sean McVay, you know, is going to try and incorporate Josh Reynolds because, you know, he did step up for the Rams in a big way last season. And, you know, while I, I admit that was such a terrible drop, and it, it was a, if I recall correctly, it was a pretty crucial situation. So well, to drop it in, and, in his defense, I don't remember the context, but I do remember that he, I don't think he would have gotten many yards if he caught it, unless he made a hell of a play. There were it, there were defenders right by him. Uh, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right, but still, that's one of those things where you need to catch the ball. I mean, you're right there. You know, and I think that's part of the reason why he dropped it was he was, you know, focusing on the, you know, where to run afterwards that he, you know, yeah, he was running with the ball without actually catching it. So I, I think we can give him the benefit of the doubt too, just because, you know, if we're going to give the benefit of the doubt to Goff, you know, he was also one of those guys that didn't participate in the preseason. So it's only natural that he too wouldn't exactly be, you know, uh, prepared for, for the game as much as, you know, others. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say I don't like him anymore just because of that one play. But we'll see as as the season goes on. I think he, he will continue to shock, you know, us and maybe even Derek. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, this can't – I wouldn't say this can't, but again, like him getting no receptions is fine, but – he was kind of like noticeably not good out there. And when you have receivers that good in front of him, you, you got to make the most of your opportunities and you don't want to lose it. And we also kept seven receivers, uh, pretty much six, if you don't count JoJo Natson. But like there's guys behind him that might be pushing for that job. Mike Thomas has been on the team since 1997. Uh, Nassimba Webster was an emerging player in the preseason. So you never know, man. 
somebody might sneak up on Reynolds if if he takes his opportunity for granted. Look at what happened to John Franklin Myers. Not on the team anymore. Oh, what you said? Ouch. I said, oh, geez, you went there. I I had to, man. It had to be known. Um, but you mentioned Reynolds is a backup that didn't play in the preseason. Another backup that didn't play in the preseason was Malcolm Brown, and he looked damn good. Uh, snap split for these two, Malcolm Brown and Todd Gurley, 54 snaps for Gurley, 21 for Malcolm Brown. It did not feel like it. Uh, Gurley had fi- 15 touches on 54 snaps. Brown had... 11 on 21 Malcolm Brown with a usage rate of over 50% like who would have seen that uh Daryl Henderson as I've been long pounding the drum for played two snaps sounds about right uh they came at a very bizarre time in the game when the Rams were in the red zone it's like Sean McVay after two straight years of hammering girl in the red zone whenever they get there it's like no let's let's get somebody else on the field sorry Todd uh but to me, I mentioned this earlier, Gurley looked great in the fourth quarter. If this is a snap split between the two, I will be happy. Gurley played 70% of the snaps. Uh, you know, when you get the ball on the 10-yard line, I'd like to see Ty Gurley over Malcolm Brown, but it did seem like they were just splitting these guys based on series, and that was probably a series ready to go for Malcolm Brown. It just so happened they got the ball on the 10-yard line, uh, and to his credit, he had two diesel runs and got it in the end zone, and he looked great. Uh, I think they both – Gurley looked bad until the fourth quarter. Let's get that out there. I wouldn't say he looked terrible, but they didn't really give him the ball in the first quarter. And then it, in between the second and third, a couple of his touches were not good. Part of that's in the offensive line. And he had that gross drop pitch, uh, which was all on him. And then the fourth quarter, my man looked great, and we were all happy to see it. Finished the game with a 6.9 yards per rush, which is pretty pretty crazy considering – how much of a roller coaster the game was. Uh, but this is a split that's fine with me. I could do it Daryl Henderson getting 0% of the snaps, but I guess two is fine. Just don't put him in the fucking red zone anymore. Uh, what's, what's your take on this whole thing? You know, it, I, I'm a, I'm okay with it too. This is exactly kind of what we were wanting anyway. You know, Malcolm Brown is a, is a talented backup. We we all knew this, you know, uh, until he got injured last season. And kind of the reason why the Rams went after Anderson was because Brown was out. So they needed that kind of complimentary back. Turned out that C.J. Anderson was a little more special than, you know, anybody was really anticipating. But, um, you know, Malcolm Brown is a fine backup and uh, definitely a guy that you want behind Todd Gurley. One thing I will say, and I don't know if, I'm making too big a deal of this is it bothered me a little bit to see Todd Gurley run out of bounds as opposed to like challenging, you know, a, a defender one-on-one. Eh, that is very, he's, he's done that though. I, I feel like that's been more of his thing than running over guys. That's never been his game. Mm, yes. You're, you're right to an extent. He's not a bulldozer kind of player per se, but in the past, he would make that extra effort rather than going out of bounds completely. Like, he didn't even try. You know, he just, when he saw that there was a defender in front of him, he just kind of went out of bounds. To me, that that was a little untaught girly. Like, at least he would have tried to, you know, establish some sort of contact. He almost looked like a quarterback out there, you know, at some points, you know, going out of bounds. So, it, it, it could be just because... 
you know, he's trying to avoid too much contact, you know, for to longevity purposes, which in which case I I guess that's okay. But overall, it, it did kind of bother me a little bit. Um, but what I will say is each time he went out there, he took, you know, he whenever he took the rock, he got up no problem. He was there was no noticeable limp. So uh, I think I think he's okay. You know, he did a hell of a job out there. You know, contact didn't seem to bother him. That's all that really matters to me. Well, according to you, contact didn't bother him because he wasn't trying to make any. Well, I mean, <laughs> only when he <laughs> he did he did make contact. Let's not get too carried away. You know, obviously when he's you know carrying the rock up the middle, he's getting hit and getting hit hard. But when he was out in the open field, there was only one man in front of him. He opted to go out of bounds rather than to try to get past the defender. And to me, that's just a little weird. Um, again, I, I, it could be just me making a big deal out of it, but I don't know. It just seemed a little funny to me. No, because this, this has been a thing I've seen online, and it's kind of like a split thing. I think we're split here. A rare moment of butting heads on butting heads. But... <laughs> Uh, it, it lived to fight another day, and when you got those issues Todd Gurley has, I don't think you need to go crazy to get extra yards uh, in, in that scenario. Obviously, like, if you're running up the tackle, you should not slide, uh, but if you're near the sideline and you have, a you have like, a 10% chance of getting a couple more yards if you make a move, I, I'm fine with him going out. It's a long game. It's a long season, uh, It's and it's never been his MO to run people over. Uh, he breaks tackles, but he's... He does it more in like a finesse way than a bruiser way. Malcolm Brown, he was fucking bruising people, man. Uh, if if there wasn't those two Daryl Henderson snaps, this would have been a 70-30 split, which I think is exactly where I'd want this to be all season. I'm very happy with that. It's a bummer for Gurley that Brown got the two touchdowns, but what are you going to do, man? He earned them, and I know those guys are tight, and I don't think Gurley was mad about it. He was probably a little mad to be pulled for Daryl Henderson at the two, 10-yard line, which I don't understand. Uh, Daryl Henderson, from all the tape we have from the preseason and his one run in this game, is not ready. Uh, he he doesn't have great vision running the ball like the other two guys do. I That's not a situation for success for him. That's not where he should be playing. And it's shitty for a girl. They're going to take him out right there. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's going to get too many goal line snaps and you know, as long as Malcolm Brown is doing his thing and bulldozing to get into the end zone, uh, you know, far be it for me to, uh, you know, challenge that as long as it's working. But, uh, yeah, I, it is going to be interesting to see what, what happens from here on out. And, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Putting in Henderson there at the 10-yard line, it was just a head-scratcher. And I was thinking maybe at first they're just trying to get Henderson some in-game action. But they probably should have done that a little bit where he can have a little more open field. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. Well, I, we definitely got to monitor it as the season goes on. Right. And I know they ran Gurley four plays in a row on that drive, but it was a sixth play of the drive. And you throw Daryl Henderson out there. I mean, I, I just didn't I didn't see a need for it. But trust McVay fully, so I'm not, not going to lose sleep over it. Um Taylor Rapp, 32 snaps. Bryce Hager, 25. As Nostradamus over here has predicted in the past, I think Rapp's going to get the majority of those reps. Uh, it'll be probably like a 
32-25, the percentage split there was 49-37, to so a little mixing of some other guys in that. I'm guessing Marquis Christian might have gotten a couple snaps uh, in that spot while Weddle was, uh, before Weddle went down. But we already talked about Taylor Rapp. I don't think we really need to dive into anything more. Here's one thing that kind of surprised me. You know Clay Matthews played on 69% of the snaps? Because outside of that one gimme sack he had, didn't feel a lot from Clay. Well, I kind of, I kind of anticipated him not being like that huge factor. I, I think if we were expecting him to be, you know, the force he was in Green Bay, although that one sack kind of felt like he was, but um, you know, I, I think if we were going to expect him to be that same guy, it would be very misinformed. Uh, right. You and know, I, he. he, he I was just more thinking like. So the split between Fowler, Matthews, uh, Ebenkamp, Fowler played 82%, feels right. Matthews played 69%. Ebenkamp played 49%. Uh, it, to me, it just it felt like Ebenkamp was out there almost more than Matthews. I feel like I just saw him more often. Yeah, I think what it is is, too, uh, Ebenkamp, well, he... Uh... He is a guy that we weren't too high on. He is a guy that's more familiar with what exactly the Rams are trying to do. And I think for Matthews, at some point, he will get adjusted. But this is a completely new system. So I think it will take some adjusting for him, too. But I I still don't think he's going to be as good, obviously, being at his age. He's still not going to be as good as he was in Green Bay, obviously. Yeah. And he shouldn't be. And I'm not saying he had a bad performance. I was just surprised by how much he was out there. Uh, Before we move on, we do want to give a shout-out to our friend Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood Scheme, Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. Guys, this is a great book to get the history of the Rams with a bit of a personal touch. I, I know. I think we got some new listeners from last year, guys. If you don't know, Johnny and I have both read this book from cover to cover. It's it's a great read. It's a great book to have on your bookshelf. Good talking piece if you're having the Rams fans over. Maybe let a friend borrow it, get a read. Uh, Jim Hawk, the author, his father, John Hawk, played for the Rams from 1953 to 1957. This book tells the story of the Rams and life in L.A. in that era in the sports landscape. You're going to learn all, all sorts of things from this book. If you want to learn about the Rams, you're going to learn about great Hall of Fame guys, guys like Norm Van Brocklin, Crazy Legs Hirsch, Tom Fears, Les Richter, a little bit of Bob Waterfield in this book. I think a little Night Train Lane in this book, uh, from what I remember, uh, but it spans the 1950s LA Rams in the landscape of Los Angeles in that time. Uh, if you want to get your hands on it, you can go to HollywoodTeam.com. You can find it in Amazon and hardback in electronic form. If you have any questions about the book, Jim's very accessible on Twitter. You can find him at Hollywood's Team. Uh, the paperback, I believe it's out this month. And, uh, guys, just <laughs> we keep telling you about it because we love this book. We both read it. Uh, it took me a while to read it. I regret it waiting that long. Once you get your hands on it, you're going to think the same thing. Uh, it's not only just a great story for any Rams fan out there to get their history fill of the team, uh, but it's just a good a good read about a person's father and the legacy he left behind. Again, guys, this Hollywood scene, grit, glamour, in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk is well worth your time. The last snap count... I want to get to here, Johnny, and this is going to lead into another discussion that we we just missed with our last podcast. Tyler Higby played forty snaps. 
Gerald Everett paid 30. Um, it's not a surprise with the split, but like, what do you think of this extension that they gave Tyler Higby? I believe it was four years up to $36 million. Uh, people pointed out that there's an, it seems like there's an out after two, but two years, 18 million for, to me, for Tyler Higby is not a good contract. How do you feel about it? You know, it's one of those things where, you know, you, you, it's hard to really picture this as a good signing just because Higby is a guy that, that isn't going to bring in, you know, the sexiness of a, of a signing. He's not like a Gerald Everett where, you know, Gerald Everett is going to get more of the spotlight. Uh, but I will, I will, I kind of understand where you're going with this. And I do admit that he was a little bit overpaid. Top 10 tight end money. He's, he's a top uh, 10 paid tight end. True. But one of the things that I like about Higby is he's kind of a balanced tight end, which is a little bit harder to find. I, I don't know if you can actually say that he excels in one area, uh, better than, you know, a top tenor. But of the top 10, I don't think you can really find too many, you know, that's as balanced as he is. And obviously one of the things we value about Higby is his blocking. And I I do think that he has improved a lot, you know, since entering the league at at blocking. So I think that's kind of the overall method here in getting Higby signed. And hopefully he continues to improve and continues to develop. And uh, Everett, too. I I think uh, Everett, we still haven't seen the best of Everett yet. So we'll see. Uh, I kind of understand what you're going here, where you're getting at here. But uh, I I don't know if it's a terrible signing because I I think that that Higby is a little bit more valuable than, you know, we give him credit for. So here's here's the preface here. The... um... After 2020, there's a chance that with the new collective bargaining agreement in the NFL, the salary cap takes a huge, huge spike. And you saw that the Rams like randomly added a year to Johnny Hacker's contract that ends in 2022, now it ends in 2023. I think they're banking on that cap exploding, and that's why they're they're fine with giving Higby a little bit of money here because when the new cap comes up, shit, it might not be a bad contract. But without that, uh, you mentioned Gerald Everett. He's a guy that can develop and become a good player. I, I just for nine, eight to nine million dollars is what Higby's going to make every year. Like you can't, you're going to tell me you can't find a replacement for half the price that's just as good. Uh, you mentioned like some of the guys might not be as balanced as Higby in the top ten, but also like they're way better than him. Uh, it's kind of like in the NBA if you have a guy that's really good at offense but not great at defense. It's way more valuable than a guy that's really great at defense, but not good at offense. And he he's not a bad receiver, but like he might be the seventh or eighth best cast catcher on the offense. And he's a good blocker. He's a valuable blocker. He knows the system, but like, <laughs> you're paying him $8 million, man. I just think, you know, if the cap explodes, sure, it'll be okay. But like, 
factoring that out, you're going to have a lot of guys to pay considering how much money you have tied up in Goff, tied up in Donald, tied up in Gurley and Cooks. You're going to want to pay guys like John Johnson. You might want to pay a guy like Marcus Peters. You're going to, you might want to pay a guy like Corey Littleton. Uh, and you're going out and giving Tyler Higby eight mil a year. Uh, I just, I do not love it. I went, I, I don't like it at all. I wouldn't say I hate it because he is fine and continuity matters. Uh, but like, I don't even think he's in the top half of tight ends and we're paying him as a top 10 tight end. He has, he, he doesn't really catch a lot of passes. He, he comes up clutch occasionally for Goff, but with, as long as Cooper cups out there, it's not like he's the safety valve. I don't know, man. I, I feel like we might've talked about this for too long, but like, I don't love it. I don't. So in short, in short, Steve hates Tyler Igby. Hashtag Haterade. He's fine. You don't pay <laughs> fine eight million dollars, especially at tight end. <laughs> I just don't do it. Right now on, on Steve's Twitter trending is uh is cut to hit Higby. I, I got into a spat with somebody on Twitter the other day because he was like, Don't judge this deal until uh, it, we see what happens. I was like, all right, man, well, if we're not going to judge the deal, why the fuck are we on Twitter? You know what I mean? Like, why are we here talking about the Rams and speculating if we're not allowed to talk about whether or not we think a signing was good? Uh, I don't think this is good. I might be wrong, uh, but in reality, I think it'll be like an okay signing at best. Uh, and you look at Les Needs' history with extending players, he's hit and miss, man. They gave Tavon Austin like $40 million. Uh, they well, overpaid Al Ogletree. They overpaid Mark Barron. Uh, they, <laughs> I hate to say it, but they probably overpaid Todd Gurley. Uh, I don't think they overpaid Brandon Cooks, but they gave him a ton of money. It's They're not the best at extending players, and I think it's fair to criticize this move. The the one that, that still hurts to this day is Tavon Austin. It was so dumb, man. Even at the time, it was such a bad signing. I remember that day very clearly, and I was like, "What the hell was he thinking?" And and I think even right now, Les Need is, you know, having nightmares about it, saying, "That's the last time I, I, I inhale anything before signing a player." I think it's the most indefensible move of Les Need's tenure as GM, uh, because like, the Greg Robinson pick was terrible, and in hindsight, it's even worse. But at least at the time. Uh, he was a pretty good prospect. Like this was 2016. Like we knew Tavon was not that good, and they gave him four years, 42 million dollars with 30 in guarantees. It made no sense at the time, and in hindsight, it's even worse. <laughs> okay, enough being depressed. Let's uh, move let's, on to another. Let's topic. talk about the Saints, uh, Johnny. I don't think you caught this game, but obviously. We know a lot about the Saints. Uh, we have we have a deep history with this franchise, uh, especially in recent years, uh, and even in the past. We used to be in their division. They, I used to consider them a rival growing up. Uh, watched most of the Saints Texans game. I watched all of it, but I wouldn't say like I was sitting here taking notes, watching it uh, in the zone. But they didn't look great in the first half. They looked fucking scary in the second half. Uh, they came out guns blazing. They looked damn good. Offense, defense, they were firing all cylinders. They looked every bit as much as the team we saw last year. Uh, so they ended up pulling it out 30-28. to 28. It was a crazy ending. Uh, I was fucking furious. I'm sure most of you guys were too. 
uh, with how the last minute of that game played out. It was a roller coaster, but a good team won the game. A good team lost the game. Uh, Saints Texans, about to be good, but <laughs> we all we know the story. Uh, I think both teams are going to be fired up. This is kind of like a silly question, but who do you think is going to be more fired up for this game? Uh, because the Saints are going to come in thinking this is a team that stole a Super Bowl from us. The Rams are coming in thinking this is that team that everybody thinks fucking should have been playing in the Super Bowl instead of us. Uh, we went over that at length, but who do you think is more fired up for this? Uh, I hate to say it, but I, I think the one the, the team that's more fired up about this is the Saints. And the reason being is because while I do think the Rams are going to be fired up as well, I think they're going to have a chip on their shoulder also. I think the Saints are are that team that's woe is me more than any other team I've ever seen before, especially with the head cheerleader being Sean Payton. But Ugh. um Jeff Fisher yeah. of the ring. <laughs> Basically. But um you know, seeing I, I didn't see the game, uh at least not all of it anyway, but I saw like pre game and a little bit of the first quarter, and I was seeing the reports of, of you know the the Saints fans dressed up and you know the referee um, gear, and you know I, I even seen like a few ladies with uh, yellow flags on, on as earrings. I, I was like, okay, the, it's pretty creative, but it's like, guys, get over it. You know, it's over. <laughs> yeah, they were all you know, wearing ref shirts and shit at the game. Yeah, it's like, first of all. I just, I just don't understand because yes, it was a terrible call and everyone has already noted this many times, but it's like, it's a new season already. Move the fuck on. Like it's, it's, you know, it's in, it's incredible how they're, you know, still clinging to this. But another reason why they're going to be fired up is because they just survived the, the Houston Texans and, and it was a great win. You know, I didn't see the game, but, um, you know, to win by an extra long field goal, it, it's something to be, you know, fired up about, you know, going 1-0 uh, into the Coliseum, you know, with the chip on their shoulder. Yeah, this this is going to be a really fired up team, but uh, it's going to be a lot more challenging than they realize. Yeah, I think they're both going to be fired up, and I think I would give the Saints a slight edge there. But this has potential for an all-time great locker room speech pregame for whoever's given it, uh, talking about the Saints, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Shit, man, this is going to be a tough game, though. Back at home, that makes me feel a lot better. A lot to prove for a lot of guys in this game. Uh, Jared Goff, Todd Gurley, everybody, man, on both sides, a lot to prove. Uh, watching this Saints game and watch this week and watching the Panthers game last week, uh, my key to the game is Alvin Kamara is going to fucking destroy us. I, I have no doubts that he is going to eviscerate us. Uh, I, I literally don't think there's anything we can do about it, especially after watching how we guarded Christian McCaffrey last week. We need to just stop everybody else. Uh, we need to hold Michael Thomas and the rest of that Saints offense – just contain the shit out of him. Uh, when Latavius Murray comes on the field, don't let him get any yards uh, because that man is – Kamara is going to run a rough shot on us. And you look at the, the NFC Championship, uh, we basically stopped everybody 
And we stopped Kamara in the passing game. The only person we didn't stop was Kamara in the receiving game. Or, sorry, we stopped Kamara in the running game. We didn't stop him in the passing game. Next best receiver was Ted Ginn, who had 58 yards. Kamara had 96. And 43 of those yards came on that botch coverage right before uh, the infamous missed call. Uh, Everybody else, Michael Thomas, 4 for 36. Uh, I mean, if we could hold Michael Thomas to 36 yards, I'd be fucking thrilled. Uh, and that's going to be a key to this game. We score points. We score a lot of points. And we stop everybody but Kamara. As long as you don't let Kamara get 900 yards, uh, I think we have a great shot to win this game. And I think we will win this game. I still think we will. But uh, <laughs> I don't know how you feel. We, this guy's going to destroy us, man. Uh, unless, like, an act of God happens to this defense over the next couple of games. You know, I, I think that the Rams could contain him on the ground again. But it does make me nervous, you know, to try and contain him in the in the receiving aspect because that was a problem with McCaffrey. And, well, even on the ground game, they didn't really stop McCaffrey either. They kind of did an okay job at it, at it in the first half, and then he completely went off in the second half. So Kamara is going to be the biggest X factor in the game, no doubt about it. I, I'm not even really necessarily worried about Michael Thomas. I just I don't think he poses as big of a threat. You know, I know he he was, and you know he gave off a huge game. You know, in the regular season, yeah. Last season. We we can't forget the fact that he had a. I know Talib didn't play, but he had 180 yards. Yeah, and and that's that's another thing. Uh you know, uh, Talib will make the biggest difference having him there. You know, having that balance, we we've all we've said it until we're blue in the face. You know, Peters needs that balance in order to, you know, be as good of a player as he was and um and then on top of that too, I think not having LaMarcus Joyner there is going to help a lot <laughs> because it, I mean, if you recall correctly, yeah, he was Lamarcus guarding Ted Ginn, was, right on that play. Yeah, yep. He wasn't exactly uh, helping last season either. I couldn't remember so, who was guarding him. Yeah, it was Joiner. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so not having Joiner there, relying on him, uh, I'm, I think it's already an improvement. So, um, I I am concerned about Kamara, but. You know, overall, I think the the Rams are going to do well. And by the way, we still we still get to see your boy Jared Cook. Ugh, I know, uh, Jared Cook tonight against in his debut, two receptions for thirty seven yards. Good for him, I guess. My <laughs> <Good laughs> God, yeah. And look, uh, I don't think we're going to stop Kamara, but we've beaten the Saints in games where he's destroyed us before. Uh, two years ago in that game where. Like, every time he touched the ball, we were getting our ass kicked, and every time he didn't, we were kicking their ass, and that was his rookie year, and we ended up winning. Uh, We're going to keep talking about this game, but first, let's give a quick shout-out to our friends from the Big Heads Podcast Network, Wasting Time. Hey, everyone. I'm Chris. I'm Beth. And I'm Matt. Join us every Wednesday for Wasting Time. 
our podcast where we talk about pop culture, life, and our favorite things. From the movies we love to the TV shows we're obsessed with. And from politics to parenting to whatever else is on our mind. Give us a listen each Wednesday and then find us on Facebook and Twitter to tell us what you're loving. We're part of the Big Heads Media Group and we can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcasts. Come waste some time with us. So... I guess we get the X factors for the Rams here in this game. Uh, to me, I mentioned Michael Thomas earlier and how we got to shut down everybody. My X factors are Peters and Tlaib. Uh, they got to have a killer game lockdown. And by all accounts, I think they will. It's been a while since that duo has had a bad game uh, together. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't remember the last time a non Julian Edelman really torched us in the passing game. Uh, obviously, Edelman's primary, I feel like. Nick Alberby Colm was on it for most of that game, no? Yeah, for the most part. <laughs> Some somebody was saying today how uh, Julian Edelman runs the same route on every play and nobody does anything about it. I'm like, I know. I watched it for an entire fucking Super Bowl. Nobody does anything about it. Uh, anyways, yeah, I think those two they had a great game, and obviously we mentioned Goff. Uh, I think those three are going to be key if we can just kind of take the receivers out of the game and force I just make them force plays and hopefully create some turnovers. That's going to be key here. And, and Goff, man, he he's got to he's he has to play his best football in this game or else we're not going to win. It's as simple as that. Uh this is one of the best teams in the NFL. They're not they're not any worse than last year. Brought back most of the key guys. Uh I you know, we he has to be at his best or else we're not going to win this game. Who's your X factor here? I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say Goff. I I think Goff is definitely the X factor here. If Goff has a Goff performance, we got this game in the bag. You know, I, it's it's gonna be challenging. Still, don't get me wrong. But if if Goff is truly his Goff self and not Jared Goof, then you know this this is gonna be lights out because one of the things that I did see in uh, the Carolina game that I absolutely loved was that we were establishing pressure on Cam Newton. One of the reasons why he he was a non-factor for most of the game. So if we can continue that amount of pressure on Drew Brees, we've already seen him choke in the playoffs when there was a little bit of pressure applied to him. Choke. I love it. He did. I mean (laughs) – don't tell a Saints fan that, but he choked. He went. It went into overtime. Don't care how it happened. They were in overtime. What happened? He choked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and by the way, shout out to Fowler for that one too. I love um, it. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> established pressure. Jared Goff having a good game. Games in the bag, and maybe even a. Dare I say, maybe even a, a favorable win if they play, you know, to their potential. What's the score? Give it to me. Whew, this is going to be a tough one. I don't remember what I originally predicted, but I, I'm not going to even try and remember. I'm going to say that this is going to be a very close one, and I'm going to say 28 to 20 final Rams. 
I have my prediction written down for this. I had 41 to 24, and I'm sticking by it. Fuck it, man. I hate the Saints. <laughs> I don't want to lose this game. I would rather win this game, and then even though, like, if we lost, it'd be like, yeah, it's the Saints. They're a great team. You know, it doesn't matter. It's not going to – it's a loss that happens. I would rather win this game and lose 50 to nothing to Tampa Bay in two weeks than to lose this game and keep winning. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, You know, I'm going to stick with 41-24. In reality, it probably will be closer. But at home, look, I, I do think we're going to win this game. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if we lose. Saints are a really good team. But I think we're going to get it. And, you know, we kind of talk about how tough of a schedule we have to open the season. Man, the Saints, Houston, at the Rams, at the Seahawks, home against Dallas. That's that's a tough four games to start the season. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I didn't realize that they had just as tough of a schedule, if not tougher. Tougher, I'd so, say, especially with how Cleveland yeah. played last week. Well, the Seahawks played like shit, so uh, maybe they get a little favoritism there. <laughs> uh, well, let's that'll transition, and we got we'll take a couple more minutes here to talk about some happenings around the league. Uh, we have to talk about this. I don't know if Johnny cares, but Matt LaFleur won. Cliff Kingsbury tied. Zach Taylor had a classic moral victory uh, in a 21-20 to Bengals loss to the Seahawks. Uh, I didn't catch any of that game, but by all accounts, the Bengals actually looked okay. I'm pretty sure it was the most passing yards that Andy Dalton has ever had, which is pretty crazy. Is it time to eat crow on how much shit we talk about these guys? Uh, I'll go by all three. Zach Taylor, I'm not ready. Matt LaFleur, they scored 10 fucking points, man. I know it's the Bears, but that offense did not look great. Uh, that I, I'm definitely not ready to eat crow there. But I caught a lot of that Cardinals game. And I got to say, man, it, Cliff Kingsbury might have not been the worst hire. I hate to say it. It, it might work. Uh, I it's it's too early to say if it will, but they fought. He made adjustments. They didn't give up in the second half. Uh, Kyler Murray, who I'm I'm all in now because watching him play is like you you created a player in Madden and you made him as skinny and small as possible and you just threw him at quarterback and you gave him the number one is what watching Kyler Murray play looks like. But he looked pretty good at the end of the game and they ended up tying, which <laughs> I saw take. I don't remember who said it. They were like, I'd rather lose than tie. No, you wouldn't. Not in the NFL. You'd rather tie because it gives you better chances in the standings. But the NFC West walks away from this week undefeated, and Kingsbury comes away with a tie. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but I I had to give him props because I've been shitting on him for the past 10 months. Uh, Yeah, I I do have a few words for this, and uh, I'm still not fucking convinced. Not at all. You know, uh, every single thing that you brought up, I'm thinking to myself, what exactly did they prove? Okay, so <laughs> you you bring up LaFleur. I mean, dude, isn't he supposed to be an offensive-minded coach? Where the hell is the offense? You know, and, and yes, yes, they played against the Bears, and that that is a probably the best defense in all of football. But still, like, they didn't look good at all. They played like shit. So, no, I'm not giving him props. Then you look at the Bengals, you know, with Zach Taylor. Um, yeah, they 
they've played the Seahawks, who I, I think this is probably one of the worst I've ever seen of the Seahawks. They they look terrible out there overall, and really they should be able to beat a team like the Bengals. They they ultimately did, but not by you know they won by the skin of their teeth. So there's that. Um, and then there's the Cardinals. Oh boy. So come on, you got to give them some credit. No, not, <laughs> not at all. Because, you know, again, the lions, they, they're like, they're like the team that finds clever ways of losing, even though they technically didn't lose this game, but they may as well have chalked it up as a loss because they dominated most of the game. And then they blew it in the fourth quarter. And it's just incredible to me. And by the way, your boy Murray, I'm sorry, but he played like shit for three quarters. And then the last second, he started to look good. And yeah, I was but like, he's a, he, it was his first NFL game. I mean, come on. If you get one good quarter in a debut, it's a win to me. I, I'll give you that one, but... No, I'm sorry. I can't give any of these guys credit. If they come back the following week against a decent opponent, with the exception of, you know, yeah, Matt. Uh, if you can show me something else, I will eat my crow. But until then, I'm sorry. These guys didn't prove a damn thing. Yeah, I still think the Cardinals are going to fucking blow this year. But it... I, I'll give him credit this week because I have been nonstop shitting on Cliff Kingsbury. So I still am. <laughs> I had to give him some props. Uh, under the tutelage of head coach Matt LaFleur, Devontae Adams had his lowest uh, total yards since uh, September 28th, 2017. So, yikes. And he's, oh, sorry. Sorry. Uh, October 22nd, 2017. I mixed it up. Uh, so good for LaFleur. Can't even get Devontae Adams the ball. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, that's got to change because that office looked terrible. Uh, but it's the Bears. So you, I'd say you give him the benefit of the doubt, but you give him better than whatever, benefit of whatever. Uh, last thing before uh, we go here, and Johnny, keep in mind that this team is currently winning 14 and nothing at halftime. <laughs> you got any takes on Antonio Brown and the Raiders before we sign off? Oh boy, AB does not belong in the NFL. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just gonna say that. Uh, I am, I am not a Raider fan at all. Uh, in fact, Raider Raider Nation is probably one of the most annoying fan bases I've ever come across, next to the Cowboys. But um, oh my God, though, the the whole Antonio Brown situation is just so annoying. And the fact that a team, especially the Patriots nonetheless, gave him a job after what he did is kind of a disgrace because, you know, what he did was so unethical. You know, I I don't I don't get it. He's such a diva. He's such a distraction. He does not deserve an opportunity to play in the NFL. He doesn't, you know, and and. I, I didn't know who to believe was the problem in Pittsburgh, and I believe all of them were the problem in Pittsburgh. But, 
you add this to AB and he looks even worse than he was in Pittsburgh. So, yeah, I, I'm not an Antonio Brown fan. Not at all. <laughs> I, I I think that, yeah, it's fair to shit on Antonio Brown right now. But just to play devil's advocate on all this because, like, hey, he, sh- he should be in the league. All right. Like, that's, that's a hot take. Mike Mayock, man, handled this like a fucking clown, too. Uh, I, I, after, like, you get in that fight, you find AB. He's already got the fine 50K or whatever. Uh, yeah, he comes at you, but I don't know, man. You have one of the best players in the NFL on your side, um, and he apologized to the team. By all accounts, it was a heartfelt apology. By all accounts, Gruden's got his back. He wants him to play. Then you go out and find him $200,000 in takeaways, guarantees. What do you fucking think was going to happen, bro? Like, then he's gone. You cut him. But it, to me, it's just a power play by Mayock. Uh, he's trying to assert his dominance over Gruden, I feel like. And I just it, – it's clown show on both sides to me. Uh, and now he's on the goddamn Patriots. So uh, everybody who's saying this is premeditated by Brown, that's definitely not true. I think he'd definitely rather have all that money from Oakland. Uh, everybody who's saying there's tampering with the Patriots. If you're Jim and you're not tampering in 2019, you shouldn't have a fucking job. All right? That's just a fact of the matter. <laughs> everybody tampers in every sport. And if you're not tampering, you're not trying. Uh, or you're just okay. an idiot. I'm sure Les Snead okay. has done plenty of tampering in his tenure here, guys. Everybody does it. Okay, so I have to say this, though. If, if I am working for my superior – and I call him a cracker, I am probably getting fired. And if if a huge organization or, you know, a community of where I work at finds out that I called my superior a cracker, what's going to happen to me, Steve? Um, are you the, let's say you're a salesperson, are you far and away the best salesperson in the company and – did your employer just dock your pay for something you didn't do? You didn't think you deserved. Uh, well, I I'm just thinking like if I if I if I call my superior a cracker, there's no way I'm gonna get a job. No, but most of us aren't as valuable or as good as our jobs as Antonio Brown is. You know what I mean? I'm like, better. <laughs> uh, I mean, your point's not wrong. Uh, it's definitely like. Yeah, once he did that, his he had a chance of losing his job. But um, in sports, you just kind of got to roll with the punches sometimes. And professional athletes that have jobs in the NFL have done far worse things uh, than getting a fight with your boss and call him a cracker. Uh, it, but still, like they they both handle this whole thing like clowns, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely, they. I do think Maya could have uh, handled the situation a little bit better also, but I, I think the, the biggest clown of them all is A.B. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I do not like how he handled the situation. And now he's about to have 12,000 yards, play for the best quarterback in the history of football, and win a ring. <laughs> See? Oh, God, don't say that. Love do how it all works that. out. <laughs> Actually, if, if you're 100% right, Steve – can you tell me the the winning lotto tickets? Because you know, I 
I could use some extra cash, you know? I mean, dude, this is like the equivalent of if the winning lotto ticket was one, two, three, four. Is saying That's he's amazing. probably going to win a ring. I mean, the fuck the Patriots, man. Literally, like, three weeks ago, uh, Philip Dorsett and Demarius Thomas were their starting receivers on the outside. Then Josh Gordon gets reinstated, which I love. Notice, no shade to my man, JG. Uh, and then they get it. Antonio Brown just falls into their lap. Like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> what a joke. The rich get richer. All right. We're, we went pretty long here, so uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, don't forget. Follow us on Twitter, at C. Rivero, at Johnny5not6, uh, at Talk Rams. Like us on Facebook. Join the Rams Talk Room. Give us five stars wherever you're getting your podcasts, especially on Apple. Don't forget to end our giveaway. Uh, and we will be back next week. So enjoy the rest of our podcast this week. Tell Sean Payton, keep talking that We're going to see him soon. You feel me? control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.